Welcome to Porch Stories. My name is Mallory Gibson, and my co-hosts here are... Larry Hakey. I'm the Tribal Historic Preservation Officer. And I'm Billy Bailey. And on this week's episode, we will be talking about churches and how they came about, our tribe, and their influences they have had on us. So our tribe has a very strong connection with Christianity that has gone from the early 1920s, even probably earlier than that, and has continued on throughout our tribe's history now. We take our religion very seriously and are excited to talk about and kind of explain the different types of Christianity that are around our tribe. So this episode will be a little different than our previous episode. We'll be using Dr. Tony Paredes' interviews with Mr. Mace McGee. These interviews are done on um, with a tape recorder, so maybe some hisses and pops, and but it's still a really good recording. So who actually was Mace McGee? Well, Mace McGee is um, well-renowned or locally respected Indian preacher, Porch Creek uh, preacher within the community. Um, he had a very strong faith, and a, a lot of the folks around here respected him highly for his commitment to his church and to uh, servicing the the members that went there. Uh, one of the things that uh, may be of interest that whenever I came here and met Juliet, my wife, and we decided to get get married, um, I was interested in being married by an Indian preacher. So I went to Mace and asked him to marry us, and Mace agreed to. And whenever um, he thought about it, and he came back a little bit, and he said because he was part of the holiness religion or denomination and was not... Uh, what was considered to be an ordained minister, and he was worried about signing our marriage certificate. So he had talked to his neighbor, Edgar Racker, who was with the friendly or the New Home Pentecostal Church, a deacon or lay minister there who was ordained. So the two of them married us. I always like to say it took two married two preachers to get me married. And, you know, one was uh, Mace did part of the service. Edgar did part of the service. And Edgar signed the marriage certificate. That's cool that we get to talk about Mace today and actually listen to his interviews because, like, he had such an impact on your life today. Well, uh, when I came into the the community and, uh, you know, went around visiting the churches to get to know the people there. And I was taken by, you know, the um, the way Mace preached, that, um, you know, you could feel his commitment to what he believed in. And to me, you know, I always appreciate anybody, regardless of what their religion is, if they have a strong commitment, I appreciate that and respect them for their their thoughts. And it was, you know, really good to hear Mace, you know, preach in a strong voice. So kind of going back to the overall theme of this, which is 
um, our introduction into Christianity and religion. What was the first introduction to Christianity for our tribe? Well, Mallory, one of the things that I've done is tried to get prepared for this uh, podcast because we were going through the different religions. And one of the first organized churches that I found was called Mars Hills Baptist Church. It started in 1869, and it was located on uh, John V. Stedham land around McCullough. Uh, the church got the name. Apparently, there's a passage uh, from New Testament, Acts 17, uh, 22, that says, And Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill. And so they took their name for the church from that. Uh, there was a preacher, A.J. Lambert. He was pastor from 1869 to about 1874. And then uh, he left and came back around 1885 and preached till about 1889. Um, early preachers during this time, they serviced a lot of churches, so that would have been on a rotating schedule where he would have been in the porch community. It seems like after Lambert, the next preacher was a John David Beck. Now, uh, Beck was an active preacher for several decades around here. And, uh, you know, there's a slight reference that we found that Beck started the Baptist Church in Bell Creek and preached for some 25 years there. Uh, there appears to have been a Baptist Church also started around Head of Padita around 1910. I'm not sure quite what the name of it was. But, you know, Beck became very active with, around the community and took a particular interest in helping with the general welfare of the Porch Indians. Uh, but it seems like his knowledge about uh, Indians and other tribes was limited because in 1893, even, he wrote the Secretary of Interior inquiring about the ability of the Porch Creeks to participate in the allotment of Oklahoma Creek lands under the Dawes Act, not realizing the Dawes Act and that allotment was strictly for Oklahoma Creeks. And there is also evidence that he wrote to President of the United States inquiring about assistance available to the Porch tribe. So he would represented himself even as an Indian agent um, to the porch. But probably one of the most noteworthy things uh, that Beck did is in, a, in an attempt to get uh, Porch Creek's assistance uh, in Indian matters, he uh, went around enrolling, filling out the paperwork for people to the Porch Creek people, to participate in the Eastern Cherokee Settlement, which was due to Eastern Cherokees under treaties of 1835, 1836, and 1845. And in 1906, Yen Miller, with the Department of Interior, was appointed uh, to construct a role of 
individuals that were eligible to participate in that eastern Cherokee settlement. Beck became aware of that settlement and proceeded to use the official application forms to enroll Porch Creeks for the settlement. Uh, All of these applications were rejected because whenever Gian Miller and that committee looked into it, it was evident, and the the porch people that filling out the affidavits made no bones about it that they were Creek, and they were denied because of Creek uh, being Creek rather than Cherokee. And these records, Gian Miller records, now become important because it's the individual reporting who their relatives are. So it's a self-recording of who their grandparents were, who their siblings were, who their children were. And so it's a whole wrath of information that talks about early Creek, uh, Porch Creek people and their relatives used for kinship purposes. One thing I have a question about is, why do you think Beck was so invested in the Porch Creek people? I I think this was because, uh, is what leads credence to him having started the Bell Creek Church. That he uh, had the church services there at Bell Creek Community. They're in the middle of the Porch Creek communities and uh, recognized the needs and, you know, as a minister, he was trying to minister to his, his people and their needs to help them, you know, gain financial uh, abilities to take care of themselves. So wasn't this uh, the, the Baptist church on the Gibson settlement? Yes. The Bell Creek uh, community was... Centered around Gibson, William Bart Gibson and his children, uh, several of them, Bernetta and a couple of others, took uh, homestead allotments there in around Bell Creek, and um, I had offered a place for other porch families that came and established their homes and worked uh, nearby. So, you know, it's a pretty good overall history of the Baptist church in the areas. Uh, Of course, we didn't mention to the missionary Baptist church there in Porch that started and is still going. No. Was that like a branch off of what was in Bell Creek? Do we know that? Uh, I really don't know, but probably so, you know, because Bell Creek, uh, Members of the community, they moved into Hog Fork and Porch, and it's very likely the church moved with them. And, you know, perhaps after Beck uh, leaving as minister there, you know, they didn't have another preacher that had the interest um, in the tribal community as he did. So they may have moved to another location. And I think Mace talked some about the Baptist uh, churches around. Yeah, I have a um, a little piece here. Um, It's a really good piece on the Baptist Mission Church. 
church. What about the Baptist mission up here? <laughs> Tell me about that. Well, the Baptist mission came on account of uh, Riley McGee. He's dead and gone, but his wife lives right across the road from our church. Now, they used to be holiness. That's why holiness is so strong and right in here, is because there was holiness. There was cause that man, Rayburn Coon, building that arbor at Bell Creek. Riley McGee was one of the head leaders of it. And uh, he just uh, growed coal, and, and his wife growed coal, and first thing you know, they, they want to ease away. And so they got into the Baptist. And they brought the Baptists out here. Right, they're the ones brought the Baptists. I don't seem to ever see much activity around the Baptist church. Do they not have many members? No, they don't have many members. How long? Whether they got five or six. How long has that Baptist church been there? Oh, it's been there, I imagine, five or six years longer. What was there before that building was there? Was that another church before the Baptist mission was there? Well, yeah, that... That's what they first put there, the worshiping, just on this side, that round building line. Yeah. Well, that's what they put there first. And then after they uh, put that there, well, then they built the church. But was there a house there before the church moved in there, or was that just farmland, or what? Farmland. That interview was, was in it like around 1972, or somewhere around that? Right. Because somewhere around 1972, when uh, I call him Tony, Tony did most of his interviews in this area. Okay. And it, so it was the Baptist Mission was fairly young when uh, when he, this interview was done. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, I think, Billy, recently didn't we have pictures that Tony had taken and Baptist really had kind of a Quonset hut. Yeah, it was a little Quonset, little Quonset hut top. Uh-huh. And Baptist Mission is still here today, correct? Right. It's right in that uh, that corner of uh, Porch Road, uh, just uh, past the, the railroad tracks. I think it's dropped the mission part of the name, and it's Baptist Church now. Okay. <clears throat> So, um, is there any more comments on the Baptist Church? Uh, Not that I have in front of me right now to think about. Okay. So, the next church we're going to speak about is uh, the Episcopal Churches. So, there was two Episcopal Churches with the Porch Creek people. One was St. John's in the Wilderness, which was in Porch, and the other was at Head of Perdita, which is St. Annas. And uh, we do have... Another recording of Mace speaking about acquiring land for St. John's in the wilderness. I, I understand that at one time there was an Episcopal church. Where you are. Could you talk about how that came about and what happened to that? Well, it came about at the uh, woman called Mace and Preacher Edwards. They, uh, Western brought the Presbyterian church in here and built the church, built the house. But the uh, Atmel Relay Company gave the land. And uh, if the church went down and never had no more service, then the land went back to the Relay Company. 
So after the church went down, Alton Jackson bought the building. See, he went ahead and bought the building. He was his uh, dad-in-law was a bishop of the church, and so he had the change at the church house. So he goes ahead and buy the church. So he tears it down and moves it. Well, then it goes back to the real company. So. From what I can gather, this church may have been right there at Friendly Holiness before Friendly Holiness was built. That's what it sounds like. Yes, all the indications are that uh, the St. John's in the Wilderness Church, Episcopal Church, was at the same location the present Friendly Holiness Church is. But as we heard, the building is... uh, the wood itself that the building that was made of was moved, yeah, tore down and reused. Yeah. Okay. So um, after it was moved and Alton Jackson took it over, eventually it wasn't too far that it was took over and changed to friendly wholeness. But we also have another. We have another clip of Mace talking about growing up in the Episcopal Church. So, would this be the Episcopal? Would this be Saint Anna's or Saint John's in the Wilderness? I think Saint John's in the Wilderness was he. A, he was from Porch. Yeah, it, it's very likely that um, it was Saint John's in the Wilderness. Uh, what appears is um, maybe it was because of the other denominations around there that uh, St. John and the Wilderness did not quite get the membership that St. Anna's did, and that eventually, because of lack of attendance, it no longer became important. While St. Anna's, because of being here in Hedda and servicing a lot of people here, um, were the uh, house where the preacher was housed or the priest in the parishioner house, parishioner house um, and things of that nature. So, you know, it may have become a little stronger in Edipedita. Yeah, okay. So this is a short, short little clip of me speaking on growing up in Episcopal Church. You grew up in the Holiness Church, or were you, were you uh, in another one before that? Grew up among the Holiness people some, but I, as I said, I went into this young. Episcopal Church. Me and my wife both. You took a young man, well, of God ain't done nothing for him. Well, then he, he he don't know nothing about what places to move into. But as a young boy, before you were married, did you go to church? Yeah, I went. To church. Which church did you go to? I went to this Episcopal Church. So that was a short clip. He was raised in the Episcopal Church. So at some point, he just decided to swap over maybe after he was married. Right. Uh, that that appears, uh, I think, in some of it, we've heard that, you know, his, what he was looking for as far as religion and beliefs and things, he was looking for something stronger than perhaps what the Episcopal beliefs were. I did a lot of research on St. Anna's for this episode, and it sounds like St. Anna has a, like a great history here. So in 1929, Dr. R.C. Mace 
and his wife came as Episcopal Church missionaries to the Alabama Creek area. And Dr. Mace died soon after their arrival, but his wife continued to work with the Creek people as a missionary. And his wife did so much to help the community with education and improving health care and treatment for our people. In the 1930s, many of the Indians converted to the Episcopal Church, and the two churches were built by the Indian men at Port Switch and Heda Padita. The church at Port Switch lost much of its memberships during the 1940s and was completely gone. The church at Heda Padita, St. Anna's, was named after Miss Macy, is still very active today. One thing I found during my research was that the Episcopal Church actually gave the land that our current day schoolhouse is setting on. Is that true? That's true. Yeah. I, well, I, I guess we'd be accurate. They didn't give it. They uh, sold it to the county and probably at a reduced cost because, again, the, the Episcopal Church has always been uh, very active from the, the time they came in, interested in the welfare and the education of the, uh, of the Porch tribe. Um, there was a lady, Eloise Bradshaw, that came in and uh, was associated with the Episcopal Church for several years. She was involved in the education opportunities improving education, education, helping with the uh, church services there, uh, there at St. Anna's. And so with that interest in education, whenever the Porch Consolidated Indian School was being built in its central location or its location near the communities, uh, the Episcopal Church sold that land to the County Board of Education, and they built a consolidated school on that land. I think that just kind of shows that they actually really cared about this community and saw the need for a better education for the children and, you know, kind of gave up an idea of even, like, expanding one day because they were stuck to that one littler piece of land when they gave the bigger piece of land or sold the bigger piece of land to the schools. Right. It's nice to see they actually cared about the community that they came to work for or work with. Yeah, the, the, the Episcopal Church has a very prominent place in the history and what they have done to contribute to the welfare. That's pretty interesting to hear that, again, uh, Mace, who, you know, again, a strong holiness preacher, had his beginning within the Episcopal Church and followed uh, the leanings uh, that was important to him. And I think he talked some in his interviews about his becoming a holiness preacher and his appreciation of those teachings and beliefs. Yeah, he, he absolutely talks about that and speaks about the beginning of holiness denomination in Porch. We have a number of clips of him speaking. Well, uh, the first question that I, I was began asking you, Reverend McGee, was uh, how did the Holiness Church come about in this community? Well, in uh, way back there in the time when there was no Holiness around here, uh, Brother Raven Coon 
came in and he was a free holiness. And he uh, didn't have no places to preach, no houses like the other organizations did. So we built a arbor over here at Bell Creek. You call Bell Creek. It's about right at a three quarters of a mile from here. So that's where we come in contact with wholeness. And from then on, well, then we made us some uh, arbors. We made an arbor right back of my field over here. So the next arbor we made was right down here about a mile and a quarter down the road. Let me ask you, if you can recall, about what year was it that Reverend Coon came in here? I imagine it was way back in the 20s. So that, those arbors that you're speaking about over in Bell Creek, I'm assuming they was right there close to the maybe where the Bell Creek uh, Baptist Church was. Probably close by or, or on somebody's uh, homestead, you know, near it. Uh, and this Reverend Coon he's referring to, was he any way related to the tribe? Was he? I don't recall him being uh, related to. There, there is a Coon family, but I'm not sure if they're related. Okay, so here's another clip of May speaking about friendly wholeness and new home when they were together as one church. And when when were the first buildings built then after that? Well, the next buildings were built, I imagine, about uh, in the 30s. We built a church then falling down at our new home cemetery. And my daddy hewed uh, timber out of the woods. The, all the framing. Well, no sawmills like there is now around that you, could, you couldn't get things like that. You know. And he just hewed them out of the woods. He could use a good broad action, though. And Brother Levi, the oldest boy, he could too. And so he just, they just all got out there and squared them up and fixed the church. When uh, when was the next church after that built, and where was that? Next church was built just well two hundred yards from here, right where Sister Rackett's house is, right up there now. That's when we uh, built the church that we in today. That's the foundation of the church. And after it, uh, people sort of got a little bit able and better financed way. Up well, then uh, they left this and then got this piece of land up here at the corner, and that's where we built the church, and that's where it's it's continued to be everything. You can see where the the Episcopal Church, St. Anna's and St. John's in the Wilderness came in, but it also gave a foundation, I think, for some of these others, where they you know they recognize the importance of it. And New Home Church started over there uh, in Hogford um, by the McGee's. Uh, by the cemetery. Right. By the cemetery originally, which would have been, I think, about where John McGee had his homestead, a filed homestead for. Uh, Lee McGee would have been Mesa's father, if I'm remembering correctly. And uh, so you're seeing that, you know, that the families working together 
working for uh, religions that suits them in the Episcopal Church. Yeah, I think it's very interesting of like how small this community was, but we have so many different denominations that all branch from practically the same religion, though. Yeah, it, it is interesting, um, you know, because that's one of the reasons uh, for this interview. Uh, Dr. Brady's was interested in the religion, the religion and the churches in the community. So he went around interviewing, asking specific questions to understand probably that very same point is why are there so many but what's interesting is you see that they all cooperated i think that's important to keep in mind oh yeah definitely they still worked as a community even though it's different denominations right okay so the next clip we have is speaking about when friendly wholeness acquired their land and I'm thinking it's speaking about the relay company that he spoke about, um, about St. John's in the wilderness. Okay, going on from there then, the piece of land went back to the relay company. Then how did your church get it? Then our church went and seen Mr. Patterson them, and uh, we told him what we wanted uh, the piece of land for. And so he said, well, said it was give for the church. And said, uh, we just soon to give it to y'all and let y'all go ahead and build your church on it. And said, if it ever goes down, well, then uh, it goes back to the company. But this gone year, we goes ahead and uh, fix it where we could uh, have it individually, ourselves. The church as a whole. Yeah, the church as a whole. It belongs to the friendly wholeness church now. So what they did here was the relay company agreed because it was already given to St. John's in the Wilderness. And when St. John's in the Wilderness was moved, they just continued it on for friendly wholeness. Right. That's what it looks like, that the relay company uh, had donated the land to the, or allowed the Episcopal Church to use that, that parcel for religious purposes. Uh, whenever new, the uh, St. John in the Wilderness uh, went down and uh, quit being active, of course the land went back to the realty company. And, um, you know, Mace and them looked and saw that, you know, they did it one time, perhaps they'll do it again. So asked for the use of the land and the relay company agreed again to allow them to use that land for religious purposes. And I guess later on what Mace is talking about is that land was always owned by that company and not the church. And so now they've got the ownership in the church where it will always be under their control. I would believe that was going to be a big accomplishment for them. Right. I I think that's uh, something every church is strive for is pay off their mortgage to own it and themselves. Okay, the next two clips we have is May speaking about the history of friendly wholeness. Who was who was the preacher at the time you were called to preach? Well, uh, Brother Lodge Capers. He was he was our pastor when I got saved. 
And then uh, he stayed the pastor for I don't know how many years. And then uh, Brother T.M. Tatum. Now, he was passing the church when I really found out that God really wanted me to, to preach his word. Were these other men, was this church the only church they were the pastors of, or did they have other churches they were also at the same time pastoring? Well, they had different uh, different churches. See, uh, we first was in the uh, Pentecostal Holiness Church. And then they would change the preachers, you know, different churches, you know, different places. But Brother Capus and Brother Tatum, they continued to stay with us. Then it came a split in the church. A fellow named uh, T.M. Duncans come out of Mobile. He's in Montgomery, out from Montgomery up in there now. So he came in here with the Far Baptized Holy Church. With the what? Church. Far Baptized Holy Church. Well, that that's what this used to be after he got them all split up. Well, it went that way for a pretty good while. Well, I got my license, missionary license, with the far baptized homeless church at that present time. And uh, after it went on for a while, he pulls out of it. The same man now that done all this splitting up and got it going here, he pulls out. Mm-hmm. And go into what they call a manualist homeless church. Well, then he wanted us to come out of the far baptized on the church and go into that one with him. So we wouldn't do it. I said, if we move out of this church anymore, I said, we'll go free and we'll be free until the Lord comes to call us home. And that's why that we are free holders today. So it sounds like they went through a lot of different types of holiness denomination. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that's kind of unique with holiness um, denomination, that there's various different groups with that. Different branches, maybe. Branches of it. Yeah, before doing this um, podcast and doing the research, I never knew there was different denominations of holiness and how many there were. Okay, the next one is another basic history of friendly holiness. Pentecostal and the Emmanuelist Holiness, all of those were churches here in the porch area? Yeah, there was churches around. Is the new home Pentecostal church, was that the, is that the descendant of the original church up there? No, well, the new home cemetery, now that's where the richly church was. But it was a Pentecostal Holiness church, new home. And in the Emmanuel Holiness church, where was that one then? Originated from uh, Frisco City. Now they just o- going over the overhead path. After you leave Frisco City, to your left, there is a Manual Holiness Church right there, still going on. Was there ever one right here in Port Switch area? Nope. So if I got this correct, then that uh, this I've forgotten his name now. The uh, T.M. Duncan. T.M. Duncan. He got you to leave the Pentecostal Holiness Church to yeah. the Fire Baptist. But you didn't change buildings. You were still in the same building. Still in the same building. And then he tried to get you to go Emmanuel Holiness. That's right. And 
Then you went free holiness on your own on your own free will. I try, and that's what the friendly holiness church is now is free holiness. Free holiness, and the name that we carry is friendly holiness church, but it's a free. So the church that was at the church that was at the cemetery was a Pentecostal wholeness, right? So. And then eventually it just split into wholeness and Pentecostal. I, I'm assuming that. I don't know a great deal about the Pentecostal um, belief, whether it's, you know, they're formally Pentecostal holiness and just go by Pentecostal. Or, yeah. Or okay. Okay. All right. So speaking about Pentecostal, um, we're going to go into speaking about new home. Uh, the other church that's actually located in what's known as Hogport, part of Porch. Um, we have a short piece speaking on the Pentecostal. Actually, have two pieces. Back to the history of these different buildings. Now, when when you moved up here, uh, just down here uh, below your house here, uh, where you said uh, Mr. Rackert lives, were there some that stayed at the new home church and didn't come with you to this church? Yeah, there's a. There's some state. So that uh, whenever, again, I've forgotten his name, uh, the man, that, Duncan's, so that some stayed with him down there and some came up here, is that the idea? No, they didn't. See, he come in to, to try to get the church, this church, but he did never food the main mother churches, you would say. I see, I see. He was never down at New Home? No, he, he, he never did. Uh-huh. Well, uh, now, how was it then that the, that there was this original split in the new home church that produced your church that before it moved up here to this area? Well, it's, uh, they called for a new preacher. And conference sent them the same preacher back. See, and back in that time, well, uh, they would have a, Preacher calling to call it. And uh, when they voted a preacher, and whichever preacher got the most votes, well, then he's the one that's supposed to take the church over for another year, you see. So they voted for another preacher. I can't think of his name right now. But when they had conference, they sent the same preacher back. So that that put a division amongst the, the church. At New Home. That's right. And that division was when your friendly holiness church started. That's right. About what year was that? Oh, I mean, that was in in the forties. United Pentecostal Holiness Church. Now this man came out of Mississippi and put the split. That's that's the reason they got down here. That one that says New Home now. Yeah, one they call New Home, but it's a United Pentecostal Holiness Church. And who was that that came out of Mississippi and started that? Barney Doe. Barney Doe? Barney Doe. He's the one that made this split of the other old church and went into this United Pentecostal Holy Church. What happened to the people in the other old church? Well, then they came back with us. They came back with you, I see. That's right. But the United Pentecostal still carries the name New Home. That's right. They still carry the name of New Home, just like the 
originally old church was at the graveyard. See, that's our graveyard, New Home Cemetery. Well, it's it case the name. How did that name New Home Cemetery get started? Do you know? Well, uh, my dad them. There's a fellow give that spot of ground for cemetery, and they just name it New Home. Your dad did? You, you yeah, say? I'm a dad. You just named it New You don't know why he decided to name it New Home? I don't know that. Uh-huh. But, see, he... He owned a lot of that ground right out in front of our graveyard. His home burnt down one time, and and we owned all that land come right back down to the graveyard. And that's the reason. And then his brother lived just right down the next edge of the branch. Mm-hmm. Edgy McGee. That's Brother Shirley's dad. I see. It's really interesting hearing about how the division between, like, you know, little... Not dumb things, but like, you know, just differing opinions causes the churches to break up and actually create new ones that are still here today. It's yeah, kind of a crazy idea to me. Little small ones like preachers yeah. and things like that. Yeah. But people have their thoughts on different beliefs on things. So mm-hmm. Exactly. They have different thoughts about beliefs and then how the message should be giving given how um, people expect to behave within that church or that denomination, and, uh, and particularly if a preacher doesn't live up to those higher standards that's expected of them, uh, they're either not going to follow them or look for a replacement. So we also have another church. We don't have, uh, there's no Mace interview on the church. It's a porch, the porch community church. And Larry, didn't you do some research on that? Right. Uh, Billy, you tasked me with being able to. <laughs> I think you volunteered. Well, maybe so. Um, I'll, I'll say you tasked me with <laughs> trying to, uh, you know, Learn the history of the Porch Community Church because it's a church here locally to the tribal headquarters that, again, we, we see, we pass by every day on Jack Springs Road, uh, particularly, you know, anyone that's lived around here, they know of members, they've been there at different times. So, you know, we found out in, in looking at it, it has... Uh, a unique history of its own because the Porch Community Church has been a Mennonite affiliated. As a matter of fact, its beginnings was from a Mennonite preacher, David Weaver, from Lancaster or from Pennsylvania, who came down to minister to a Mennonite church in Freemanville. And it was a Mennonite church, a missionary church, that they started in Freemanville to minister to the, the white population living around Freemanville. And when David Weaver came down to preach, uh, or be the preacher at that church, he was looking for a place to live. And it just so happened the only place he found that uh, they could 
purchase was right here in the Hedapadita community next door to the, the school that was going on at that time. So you had a Mennonite preacher here in the middle of the school. Uh, I'm not really sure what was going on because you would think it is, he was living also fairly close to St. Anna's Church you know, with that Episcopal uh, influence here. But again, like we said, there may have been an Episcopal priest here that uh, didn't jive well with the community, and perhaps the community, you know, started it, stopped attending the St. Anna's Church as frequently as as heavily as they had in the past. So, what were like the years that like this? Started We're talking happening? about nineteen fifteen and fifty three, okay. somewhere in the early fifties. All right, yeah. Because uh, David Weaver, this is another interview that I was looking at. That uh, Tony actually interviewed Doctor Parade or interviewed David Weaver and got David Weaver's firsthand account of his coming to the community and in the beginning of the Porch Community Church because you know David talks about. Uh, he was approached by two women in the community, Willie Lee Martin and Roberta Sales, to uh, to preach, start a church or start preaching, holding services there. And he agreed, and uh, during the summer, they held a vacation Bible school and held it in the Porch Consolidated Indian School. Now, was this the first church to have, like, a vacation Bible school, or? Uh, probably not. Okay. <laughs> probably not. But, um, you know, he they would have the Bible school for the, the youth and things, and then also hold services on Sunday for other members. But, you know, again, remember, his primary reason of being here was the Freemanville Church. And I understand there were some, though there was a lack of acceptance, I guess, of the the Indian members attending the Freemanville Mennonite Church. And it led to a break between a separation from portions and segments of the Mennonite Church. And this is a really neat interview that... Uh, Tony did with David because in it he talks about some of the Mennonite ways with the dress. You know, David Weaver when he came in and he started working within the, the porch community and he started realizing the situation he is and, and he would do things that were unique to the Mennonite or uniquely different from uh, strong Mennonite uh, beliefs. And, you know, he, he admitted that, uh, you know, sometimes when he would go back to Pennsylvania, people would ask him, why are you, you know, allowing this to happen? And part of it is one of the areas was the dress. The women were supposed to wear a particular style of dress, which he, I believe, if I remember right, he said was connected back to Germany. 
and he recognized that the community and the women here were not familiar with that style. Plus, also didn't have the resources to either buy those dresses or to, you know, sew them and make them themselves. So he didn't care what their dress looked like when they attended church because it was important for him to get that Mennonite message to them. And, you know, he talks, too, that uh, originally he was would not have probably started the Mennonite church because, again, part of their belief is if there's a church or a denomination servicing the population, he's not going to go in there and poach memberships members from them. So with St. Anna's close by, it probably wasn't thought about starting a church because mm-hmm. his responsibility was there in Freemanville. But since he was invited, he felt obligated to meet that need that they asked for and had this. So they started, you know, the first church uh, services there seemed to have been at the Consolidated Indian School. Uh, there was uh, one account that perhaps because of the con- uh, the lack of acceptance of Indians in the Freemanville Church among that population, that group, and, you know, Calvin denied them the use of the church uh, because of that. Uh, you know, if the, this group didn't want to accept them, well, you're not going to come here among our people. Uh, But the one account said that school was starting. Summer was over. They needed to get ready for the school classes, the classes there at the schoolhouse. So he then moved. uh, They started holding services in his garage. He built a garage next to his house. And that garage is still standing, and his house is where, you know, we all know around here as being Peggy Sue's house, and Peggy Sue Couch, and that garage next to her house is where the Mennonite Church started. So, you know, he went there um, and started that. that. Uh, There were also... um, the Mennonites start, started having services. They they did get uh, the land there where the Porch Community Church is and started actually holding a Mennonite deal there. And there got to be another conflict between um, the Porch uh, people and what they had experienced in their life and their abilities to what the church would allow them to do. Uh, Apparently, the Mennonite church, what I understand, hopefully I'm correct, that a woman who had been divorced was not able to teach classes, church classes, Sunday school classes, or that. Was that not something seen in other denominations and other churches in the area? Mm, apparently not. Uh, not that I know of. 
but it was something that uh, it's kind of you know related, I guess. You know, Catholics where you where you marry, you're married for life. You cannot divorce is not looked upon favorably by the Catholic Church. Apparently, divorce is not looked upon favorably by the Mennonite Church either. Yeah, and because. Uh, if they divorce their husband and get a new husband, well, I guess they think they're sinners for some reason. I don't know. I'm not Mennonite. <laughs> <laughs> but it is interesting kind of hearing some of the differences between some of the denominations that we are seeing here. Right. You know, and that's what, you know, again, what we're seeing there is how the churches needed to adapt to the Indian thoughts, the Indian way of life, if it's going to be acceptable within that community. And I think we see that not only here in Porch, but all across the country, that whenever a Christian religion comes into the tribe, the tribe accepts those beliefs, but they change it. They change it to suit, to match their beliefs. That's why back home, in Oklahoma, when we go to a church ground and there's camp houses there, they're all facing inward into the the church. The church entrance is facing east, and that matches that the traditional exactly matches that traditional ceremonial ground. So you'll see that with other tribes, and and it happened here too that the church needed to adapt to the Indian situation and the situation here within this tribe. You have divorced women who felt very strongly, very much religious, and wanted to help, wanted to give the the word to their, their fellow members, uh, relatives, and people living near them. And if the church didn't allow it, they found a way to do it. And that's what happened. Whenever the full Mennonite church there, where the porch community, would not allow these women to teach and treated them inferior to other women, the Indians quit going. Oh, wow. They quit going. And that Mennonite church that was there fell again, membership. And things quit. They didn't quit their connection with the Mennonite Church because David Weaver was still, you know, connected. And uh, but they quit going to that church. And once that church could not support itself, it fell in um, quit being active. We'll say. And. Um, Later on, again, there was got to be a resurgence of this deal. But this time, when the Mennonites and, and the tribal members worked together, they worked cooperatively. That fit, that fit the situation here. And started having uh, a stronger and larger Indian membership. So you're looking again for a place to hold their services. They asked the Mennonite church if they could use that location. They agreed because it wasn't being used by them. They agreed to let the porch community church 
hold services there in that porch community search church um, actually started entered into the mortgage agreement to buy the land and from the Mennonite organization still had a Mennonite connection but wasn't holy Mennonite wasn't holy Mennonite wasn't all Mennonite didn't it follow the, the the full range I guess of yeah. Mennonite beliefs it was adapted to there because uh, you know I can I still remember I can remember they had connections somewhat to the church and the church, uh, the Mennonites often would send a minister there when they needed one okay. but you know again they had to understand the situation they were coming into so that's where Porch Community Church uh, eventually ended up where they are now and being governed and ran by the Indian members. That's awesome to hear. And when before we even started talking about the Porch Community, I was going to ask, oh, what denomination is them? And you kind of answered my question in the like, long way around, but pretty much like they created their own from like taking beliefs from different churches that they were attending and ended up finding a church that fit their beliefs in their way. I, I can go with that, you know, because, you know, some of the, the members that uh, became members of Porch Community, you know that they were uh, members at one time of the Episcopal Church. So you have, you know, that Episcopal background with them also you've got this Mennonite background I'm sure they visited other families and other churches the holiness and, and you know blended what what they feel comfortable in a way to worship their God and, and that's come there because David Weaver even talks about having having visited the uh, new home Pentecostal church at one time, the uh, the pre- preacher there at New Home asked him to preach a service on Sunday, and he did. And I think that's one of the things you relate back, Mallory, when you talked about the many different denominations. Yes, there were different denominations, but they all cooperated together. Mm-hmm. You know, um, New Home asked the Mennonite to preach there, you know, to help them understand trying to have this religious connection that everybody was seeking. You see, too, here within what has happened with the tribe, with Calvin McGee's trips to Washington and the need for community involvement to help assist him with those trips, all of the people came together, regardless of their religious belief or their what church they belong to. They all work cooperatively together. Same thing we see at the powwow. Everybody is working together. So, you know, they maintained that tribal identity was important. Their religious belief was important. And they worked together. They still became one big community. That is it today on Porch Stories. Thank y'all for listening. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe.